tonight, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I want to just say thank you. I, I do this from time to time, but every week they deserve a thank you to our musicians and song leader and our choir. Praise the Lord. I appreciate I love getting to hear you guys sing, and they do a great job with the music. That's wonderful. Luke chapter 12, and continuing our series here, we're down to verse number 35, and today we're going to cover all the way to verse 48. So quite a bit of ground to cover. Let me just give you guys a little bit of advice before we get started here. Never write with a broken pencil. It would be pointless. That's, that's good advice. All right. Luke, and a dad joke. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Uh, you know what? Forgive me. I say verse 35. Our attention will be turned there momentarily. I want to read verse 40 with you. Then we're going to pray, and then we'll go through all the verses uh, again here. Verse number 40, it says, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. So today what I'd like to preach about, you'll see it perhaps as you let your eyes go through it. Verse 37, it says, those servants. Verse 38 at the end, those servants. In verse 43, that servant, 45, that servant, 46, that servant, 47, that servant. The name of my servant is, or name of my sermon is that servant. Are you that servant? So let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning. We can sing these wonderful songs uh, together and think about how, how can it be, Lord? Your, your love, mercy, your long-suffering, it is beyond human comprehension. Father, I trust that today you'll come down and speak to hearts. I pray that you might fill me with your spirit so that, Lord, so that Jesus Christ gets magnified, so that hearts get touched and lives get mended. Lord, bring about repentance. Father, please speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're talking today about being that servant, but in light of what we read in verse 40, Jesus Christ is coming again. Some years ago, a man named Dr. Bob Jones Sr., he was called to preach when he was a very young boy. He got saved at the age of five. I think he was about 10 years old when he started to preach. If I'm not mistaken, he was about 12, and he got up to preach in an old-time Methodist church. This is 120 years ago. And there were deacons and the assistant pastors and pastors sitting up on the platform. And he, he, before he even opened his Bible, he said, uh, Pastor, may I ask you a question? Do you think Jesus is coming back right here today during our church service? And the pastor said, well, I doubt that. And he said, Mr. Assistant Pastor, may I ask you the same question? Do you think Jesus is coming back before our church service will be done? He said, ah, well, you know, I agree with the pastor. I kind of I doubt that. He went one by one down through the deacons. What do you think? What do you think? They all agreed unanimously. Well, he's coming, but... Probably not right now today. He, and he opened his Bible to this verse and said, All right, in such an hour as ye think not, <laughs> the Son of Man comes. <laughs> Jesus said, Be ready. Now you're going to see verses 35 to 40. Jesus, th there is a point that he emphasizes. And that is, I'm coming back. I want you to be ready. So he, there's a point emphasized, and then in verse 41, Peter asks a very good question, and the point gets clarified, and then verses 42 down to 48, the point gets 
expanded. So Jesus then takes Peter's question using that same subject and expands on what he just taught. So we're going to work our way through these three sections of this passage. Starting in verse number 35, the point begins to be emphasized. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. This is a a, a poetic way to say, be ready. A person who has their loins girded, that means they're dressed. They got their belt on. The belt is tightened. Now, of course, we're not talking about a physical belt. We're not talking about physical lights in verse number 35. We read in other places in the Bible, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we we read in in another place about having the hope of salvation, which that's the helmet that we wear, the hope of, of Jesus coming again. So this thing, this fact of Jesus coming back should occupy our minds. But also the light is burning. I always think of the candlestick with the oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the light of that candlestick was never supposed to go out. In the Old Testament, it did from time to time. But the way God set it up is once the oil goes in, you keep maintaining that so the light is always burning. What are we supposed to have? Our loins, our minds girt with truth and constantly filled with the Holy Spirit so the light is always shining. What did Jesus say about true worship? God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, I want you guys to stay ready. I want you, in a moment's notice, if I were to come, to be ready to get up and go. There won't be time to say, let me get up and wash my face and get this clean and light this light. Stay ready. Verse number 36, He says, Ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when He will return from the wedding that when He cometh and knocketh, they may open unto Him immediately. Jesus now switches to talking about a wedding. You understand, that's in our prophetical future. One day a trumpet will sound, we will be taken to heaven. This is a clear teaching of the Word of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and a handful of other verses. We are going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Revelation chapter 19 says there will be a marriage of the Lamb, a wedding. There's a song we used to sing. You're invited to a wedding. It will be held soon. We are the bride. Christ is the groom. And that's going to happen after that rapture takes place and we're caught up. There's a wedding ceremony in heaven. But notice in verse 36, it says... Ye yourselves liken the men that wait for their Lord when He will return from the wedding. So the wedding ceremony takes place in heaven, but as is common to almost every culture, weddings take place in two parts. There is a ceremony followed by a reception, a feast. So when you read in the Bible about a wedding, almost always the wedding is referring to the feast. That is when Jesus is speaking about it. He says, I want you guys to be waiting for the wedding feast that is going to happen. 
He says when the Lord comes back, he is, in verse 36, he's going to come and knock. And here's the key word I want you to see. They open unto him immediately. That, it paints a picture in my mind. To open immediately, they must be sitting right next to the door. <laughs> right? Because as soon as open, <laughs> it's not knock, knock, oh, who's that? We weren't expecting anyone. No, you should be. You should be. You should be close to the door. Amen. I said you should be close to the door. Because Jesus said, I am the door. <laughs> You be close to the door, and as soon as I hear him knocking, I'm going to open immediately. How about before Jesus comes back, we get in practice? Because daily, before the Lord ever shows up physically, on a daily basis, I promise, he shows up spiritually knocking at the door of your heart saying, I want to have fellowship with you. And God help us to be immediate when we feel that slight tug of the Holy Spirit saying, come, let's talk in the prayer closet. Come, let's open the Bible. I want to sup with you and you with me that we immediately open the door and say, I've been waiting all day for the Lord to invite me into the garden to walk with Him in the cool of the day. Some of you need to move a lot closer to the door. Because it's difficult enough now to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. It might get easier if you turn the TV down. It might get easier. And it probably won't startle you as much when you hear that sound of a trumpet and Jesus comes to take you away. You won't be caught unawares and startled, but rather excited. Finally, finally, we're off to meet our beloved. Have you thought about it this week? Have you thought about Jesus coming back? It's one of those staple truths of the New Testament you'll find that the apostles in every one of their epistles talks about it. Now how is it we don't think about it on a consistent basis? In verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when He cometh shall find watching, not TV, but watching for Him. Verily I say unto you that He shall gird Himself, oh this verse, wow this verse, that He, the Lord, shall gird Himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Just let that sink in for a moment. Jesus will one day serve you. At that wedding feast, we have now come back from heaven. We've ridden on white horses. We fought the battle of Armageddon. The enemy has been put down. Jesus is rightfully King of kings, Lord of lords. The, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And one of His first orders of business is for Him to say, let's enjoy our honeymoon. Let's have a time of sweet fellowship and he has the table set and he takes you by your hand and says, come, I've got a spot reserved right here for you. This is your part right here. Can I get you tea, coffee? There is no brandy vein there. It's just, can I get you a Coke? <laughs> Would you like some still water? 
And, and, and can you imagine, folks, Jesus one by one? Can I, get, can I bring you some bread rolls? Would you like seconds? Will you have a little more breifleisen? Yeah, meneer. Verseke, meneer. Can you imagine? You know, for some of us, and I say us because I put myself in this same category, it seems very out of place for Jesus to approach us with that attitude. Who are we that He would do this for us? This is what we have to look forward to. Who are we? But you understand, this is the culmination of our creation. From day one, and I mean day one of mankind, that is day six of God's creative work, why did He create man? To walk with Him. To fellowship with Him. That's why He made man in His own image. So that we could have a connection to God that nothing else in God's creation can have. What is the intended goal? What is the purpose of Jesus now? What does He want more than anything in your life right now? For you to sup with Him and He with you. For you to draw nigh in sweet fellowship and for Him to come and say, I'd like to feed you. Will you sit down and eat with me? I think you all know the verse in Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Now listen to the wording carefully. And will sup with him, and he with me. I think it's perfectly fine to understand that verse, to say we are going to enjoy each other's company at the same time. I'm happy with that. But I wonder if we might learn something slightly additional. Open the door, I will come into him. You know where the fellowship begins? Where you're at. I will come into him. But where does the fellowship end? And he with me. He says, you got a table right now where you're at. I'll come down, I'll condescend, I'll humble myself, I'll find you where you're at because I want you to know me. So I'll start where you're at, but we're going to finish where I'm at. We're going to finish by me setting a table, and you're going to come sup at my house. We're going to sit down in the Father's kingdom and drink that new wine that I talked about. We're going to have it together. I'm going to enjoy this fellowship from the day I saved you until the day we get back. This is what Jesus has been looking forward to for centuries. The chance to sit down and have this very close fellowship. Verse 38, the Bible says, And if he come, if he shall come, sorry, if he shall come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Find them what? Waiting next to the door, ready to open, excited about seeing the Lord. He says, blessed are those servants. Folks, can I, can I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure you'd agree with this. Don't you want to be a blessing to the Lord? Right. H haven't we grieved Him long enough? Wouldn't it be nice to know that you're a blessing to the Lord? Wouldn't that be good? Rather than, than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost going, Oh, yutta, not again. 
Wouldn't it be nice for the, for the Godhead to look at each other and go, wow, what a blessing. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Job moment where the Lord is happy to call around the other people in heaven and go, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He's a blessing. Wouldn't that be nice? You know what's a blessing to the Lord? Somebody who's on the edge of their seat. Anxiously, eagerly anticipating seeing Jesus face to face. Ready at any moment. Yes, I'm carrying on with life, but I never lose sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And I want to see Him. And I allow that truth to actually affect my life. I don't travel a lot. I do travel from time to time. Maybe as things change a little here in our church with bringing on an assistant pastor and things, perhaps I'll travel more. But one thing that's always true, anytime I travel, Christina struggles. I'm, I'm busy. I'm going somewhere else to do something for the Lord, and she struggles. And I know this. And I send her messages, how you doing? Oh, it's not the same without you here. Can't wait for you to get back. I've been gone two hours. <laughs> she doesn't sleep well. Every little noise gets her attention. She's overly sensitive to that, perhaps. And whenever it's time for me to get home, the day of my return, unlike Jesus, I tell her when I'm coming back. <laughs> And I get to the airport and I'm driving back, or let's say riding back. I always take a, a midway bus, but I'm coming back from OR Tambo and I'm on the N12 and I'm heading back home and, and we'll be WhatsApping back and forth. Hey, where are you at now? Where are you at now? I'm about an hour away, 45 minutes away. And she, I, she must set a timer or something because she'll send me a message. You should be 20 minutes away. Are you okay? Are, are you, everything Okay. Yes, I'm fine, honey. I'm trying to take a nap, but I'm fine. <laughs> when I get home, I don't see the driveway before I see her. We pull up in the gate. There she is standing at the gate. As soon as the bus or the van rolls into the, that little driveway right in front of the gate, here comes Christina out the gate, arms open wide. I barely make it out of the vehicle. I have to make sure I drop my bags or she will tackle me. And she, oh, I'm so glad you're home and big hug and a kiss. And who cares about the driver? I haven't seen my wife in a couple weeks. <laughs> and before we ever get inside the gate, I'm so glad you're back. And usually accompanied by some tears of joy. Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, I can't believe how much I missed you. Every time you're gone, I know that it's like this, but every time I'm just reminded of how much I love you. Tell you what makes me feel special. Makes me feel special. I wonder one day, when Jesus is on His way, if you'll be sensitive enough to know that. Lord, are you coming back? Is it now? Are, are you almost here? I can't believe how much I miss you. You know, I know it's difficult to be apart, but my heart aches even more. The longer you're away, the more difficult it becomes. And we become sensitive to every little movement. Every little thing in the news. Every heartache, 
every prayer meeting, we think maybe, maybe this is the last one. Maybe this is the last Sunday of church. Maybe this one big thing going on in the Middle East, maybe that's it. Just everything reminds us that Jesus is coming. And then one day, I wonder when He comes if He'll find you waiting at the gate. If, if, you'll, if you'll rush up to heaven as you fly that direction and make your way straight to Him and throw your arms around Him and say, oh my goodness, I cannot put into words how good it is to finally see you. Now see, if you're not ready, you might get up there, but you won't be that excited to see Him. You won't meet Him with great joy, but with great shame. You won't be a blessing to the Lord. You won't rejoice His heart. You won't make Him feel special. It'll be a grief. Imagine me getting home after a long trip, getting to the house, and there Christina is just laying around doing nothing. No hug, no kiss, no welcome back, nothing. How my heart would break. But isn't that what so many people are prepared to do when Jesus comes back? Jesus says, based on this, Verse 39, and this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and, had, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Well, amen. That's a very obvious and practical truth. Living in South Africa, we have a little bit of experience with thieves and how this works. I think there probably are some exceptional cases where a thief might try to intimidate you by coming to say, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to get you. I think that might be very rare, but maybe, perhaps, just maybe that has happened. But most of the time, what is the general rule? A thief doesn't tell you he's coming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, and he certainly, he's certainly not going to say, I'm coming on this day at this hour, be ready. Now, Jesus is like a thief in that he has not told us the exact timing of his return. Right? We don't know the day or the hour. Why did he not tell us? Because he doesn't know. Did you know that in Jewish weddings, the only one that knows the date and the time of the wedding is the father? The father never tells the son. The son only finds out on the day of his wedding. The father turns to the son and says, today's your wedding day, go get your bride. And then the bridegroom will go down through the streets and they blow trumpets in front of him and they, behold, the bridegroom cometh. And the bridegroom has to go to his bride's house, pick her up and carry her away. That's how it was done for hundreds of years. And that's why Jesus said, I don't know the day or the hour, only the Father knows that. Because He's following the custom of His people. So like a thief, He does not tell us the day or the hour, He doesn't know. But unlike a thief, Jesus has told us He is coming. Why? Because a thief doesn't want you to be ready. Jesus does. So He has given you as much information as He can provide so that at all times you're ready. Verse 40, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. How do you stay ready? In other places, other parables, we have information about this. Be busy about the Father's business. 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, he gave his servants a pound and said, now go get busy, occupy till I come. Just stay busy with whatever the Lord has given you to do. That's how you stay ready. Now, verse 41, then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? So this is the point being clarified. Right, so the point was emphasized. Now Peter needs clarification. And I think this is a brilliant Bible question. This is something you learn in our discipleship class. We teach this in lesson one. You always have to find the context. To, to properly understand what God has said, you must know the context. How do you determine context? Who is talking? To whom is he talking? And when does this apply? Very basic stuff. Do you see it in verse 41? Jesus, you've given us this parable now. Uh, let me make sure I understand. Is this for, are you talking just to us, the apostles, or is this for everyone? That's a great Bible question. And you need to ask yourself that as you read through the Bible. When it comes to the second coming of Christ, now the rapture only applies to the church. Only the church is taken to heaven it will indirectly affect the entire world. But directly, only the church. Jesus is not talking about the rapture necessarily. He's talking about His second coming when He comes all the way to the earth. We've already seen that in verse 36. He's coming back from the wedding. So we understand the prophetical timeline here. And that's why Jesus is going to give this expanded answer. Does it apply just to us or even to all? When Jesus comes back to the earth... Revelation chapter 1, verse seven, uh, 7, it says, Every eye shall see him. Matthew chapter 24, I think it's verse 29 or 30, it says, All the tribes of the earth shall mourn. Why? Because in the rapture, it's a great day of joy. We go to see our, our Savior. But when Jesus comes back from heaven, he's coming for the battle of Armageddon, and the whole world mourns and says, We're in trouble now. Who shall save us from the wrath of the Lamb? So Jesus is now, from verses 42 down to 48, He's going to talk about four categories of servants. Four different kinds of servants are mentioned here. And He describes them all briefly because He's showing you that this parable, this teaching, applies to everybody. You today fit in one of these categories. So this is the title of my sermon, Are You That Servant? And, and you are. You are that servant, or that servant, or that servant, or that servant. You're one of them. So let's go through these four servants and see which one you are. Verse number 42, And the Lord said, Who, who then is that faithful and wise steward? A steward is a, a manager, a business manager. Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat, in due season. Verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. So the first two categories of servants, we're going to get two extremes. This one is extremely good. He's faithful, he's wise, and when Jesus comes back, he gets to rule in the kingdom. The inheritance. 
He gets to reign alongside Christ. That's one extreme, and that's where you want to be. And then the next one, we'll see he's on the other end of that spectrum. We'll talk about that more in a moment. What did this servant do? Well, he was faithful. He was wise. We see that there. But faithful and wise about what? The Lord gave him something to do, and he did it. Now, I'm I'm purposely keeping that broad because I don't want you to think, well, if I want to have a a reward, a place in the kingdom, you know, a place of service in the kingdom, then I need to physically feed people. You see in verse 42, what has he been charged to do? Give a portion to them of the household. Who's in the household? Other servants. Other servants. Other family members. So, So here's the overarching idea. This servant is a servant to servants. That is the heart and soul of any servant of Christ. I am here to help you. How can I help you? How can I help you? I don't care what it is you need help with. If I can't provide the help you need, I'll find somebody else that can help you the way you need. But I'm concerned about you. How can I help you? You don't have... You do not need to have a mega church. You don't need to have a massive ministry and be popular and a famous YouTube channel. And none of that is going to get you anywhere with the Lord. The Lord expects you to be faithful in whatever it is that He has given you to do. Occupy till He comes, big or small. And if all I can do is pray for somebody or maybe hand out one gospel track, if, if that's my lot in life, Lord, help me to do it to the best of my ability. And I don't need any thanks or recognition in this life, Lord, as long as you know, and I know that you do, I'm happy to just do it for you. And I don't care who sees it, because I know when you show up, you'll, you'll give me due recognition. It won't go unnoticed. Paul said it like this, 2 Corinthians 4, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. This is the guy who comes to church not only for himself. He comes to church so that he can get edified, built up, bettered, so that he can help someone else in the church. He can help someone else in the community because he knows the Lord has given me this job to help others until he shows back up. That is as good as you can do. Promotion will come in due time. Let me ask you, are you that servant? Are you that servant? Who is it? Who are you strengthening in the household of God? Because that's what this servant was tasked to do. Give them their portion in due season. Help them when they need it. Are you that servant? Now that's one extreme. Let's look at the other. Verse 45. Verse 45, but and if that servant, now it's tempting to think that he's continuing to talk about the first one, but he's actually moving to a different category and I'll show you that now. But and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the who? With the unbelievers. 
Why does he have his portion with the unbelievers? Because he is one. Because he is one. And let me unpack that a little bit. When you read this story, you can also turn over to Matthew 24 and you will find Jesus giving the same lesson only at a different time. And this allows us to compare Scripture with Scripture and Matthew's account will help us understand Luke's account. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and verse number 48, this servant is called an evil servant. And when he is cut asunder, he is given his portion with the hypocrites. You understand what a hypocrite is? He's a fake. He looks to be one thing on the outside, but that's not who he really is. So this is an evil, unbelieving hypocrite. Is he a servant? Well, he looks like one for a while. But, but you know how you can tell an unbelieving, evil hypocrite as soon as he's able to get away with something and he doesn't think that he's going to have to pay for that? He will gladly follow the lust of his flesh and do what the rest of the world is doing. That's, that's one mark of a lost man. He has no fear of God. He's not worried that God will eventually come to judge him. He thinks, well... The Lord said He's coming back, but I don't see Him. Oh well, might as well just do what I want. This is an evil, unbelieving hypocrite. You say, but Brother Mike, in verse 46, He says, my Lord delays His coming. He, he says here that it is my Lord. Doesn't that mean that Jesus is His Lord? Haven't you read this verse? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord enters into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. For many shall say to me in that day, Jesus said, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done wonderful works in thy name? What, was Je what, what, what will Jesus say? I profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never what? I never knew you. This is an unbeliever. And, and brethren, let's be clear about this. There are plenty of unsaved, unbelieving hypocrites that serve in a church. Wearing a name tag in a church doesn't make you a child of God. There are plenty of pastors that when Jesus comes, their truth will be exposed. They did it for the paycheck. They did it because it was convenient. They did it because there were some other people doing it. But when Jesus comes, the truth will be revealed. Now listen, this is the other extreme. Like I said, two extremes. We're going to talk about the middle ground in a moment. One extreme is you're faithful and wise and you serve humbly to the end. And you get rewarded for that. The other guy, he'll stick with it while it's convenient but as soon as the opportunity arises to go do something else, he's going to fulfill the lust of the flesh and start running with the world. And his hypocrisy will come out. I've mentioned that the church is filled with hypocritical pastors, and this is true. Did you know that there are also plenty of hypocritical church members? Ones that come to church because that's what they do. It is your culture, it is not your conviction. 
You're here because you would be ashamed not to be here. Not because you want to be here. I cannot speak to the condition of your heart. The Lord knows your heart. But, but let me say that again. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows them that are His. And you perhaps have all of us fooled because you say the right things at the right time. But then in the darkness of night when no one else is watching, the real you comes out. And you're not concerned about the Lord finding you doing something you shouldn't do. Why? Because truly, He's not your Lord. He's there just as a convenience. One day, you will have your portion with the unbelievers. That's the other end of the spectrum. Now we come to the two middle groups. Verse 47, And that servant, you see, another category, And that servant, And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. This servant, I'm going to call an unprepared servant. He knows the Lord's will. He knows the Lord's will. He's just not doing anything about it. Folks, please, give me just a couple minutes of your attention here before you skip out to lunch. This guy knows what the Lord expects. He could probably fill out a Bible quiz and get 100%. But his life doesn't reflect any of it. This man knew the Lord's will, but he did not prepare himself. Now, does he get punished? Yes. Does he get the same punishment as the unbeliever? No. Punished, yes. But is he given a portion with the unbelievers? No, because he himself is a believer. He simply doesn't practice what he believes. Now, let's give him this. Is he out there beating the other servants? No. Is he out there getting drunk, going to parties like the other guy? No. But is he doing the other things that the Lord told him to stay busy with? Let me give you an example of what I mean. Are you supposed to read the Bible? I know these are obvious, but work with me. Are you supposed to read the Bible? Do you know that? Are you prepared? Have you been reading it? One day there's a final exam. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You better study for that exam. You know, you know you're supposed to read it. Do you read it? Are you supposed to pray? Yes. Without ceasing? Do you? Are you supposed to come to church? Is that a biblical concept or is that just Pastor Mike harping on something? There are verses about this, folks. And not just one or two. While I'm on the point, right, the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So you're supposed to be in church. But, but let, let me just ask you this, and this is food for thought. Do you come to church as much as God wants you to or as much as you want to? Just a thought. What is the will of God for your life as it concerns church? So perhaps as you move forward, 
ask this question, Lord, how often do you want me at church? And then do the Lord's will. Are you supposed to share the gospel with others? Guys, that's not a suggestion, that's a biblical command. You are commanded to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you? We are commanded to give, to do it cheerfully, generously, for certain reasons. Do you? We are commanded to care for the less fortunate in this world. We are supposed to do it wisely, smartly, prayerfully, but nonetheless, it is something Jesus gave us to do. Do you do that? You're supposed to honor, listen to this one, younger folks, listen to this. You're supposed to honor elderly people. You are, especially your parents. Amen. I was waiting for one amen. I didn't get one. No one. Honor them. Do you? Do you purposely go out of your way to honor them? You're supposed to love your spouse and your kids. Now, now again, I'm going to dovetail here for just a moment. You say, well, Pastor, I do. Okay, but do you love them the way God told you to? Or do you love them the way you were loved when you were growing up? Is it your love or is this God's love? Christ, right? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Our love should reflect His love and not our version of it. The Bible commands us to walk in the Spirit. Do you? We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Are you? The Bible says to crucify the flesh. Do you? Do you do these things God's way? I've given you an abbreviated list. These are things that this servant knew. He knew his Lord's will. But what did he do? He did not prepare himself. So when the Lord shows up, he can say, Lord, I know who you are. I, I believe who you are. You are the Son of God, the, the Savior of the world. You died for my sins. And then Jesus says, but he, here, here's what I told you to do. And he says, no, 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 I, I know that. I was in church every Sunday. I saw that. Okay, but, but is that all you did? You, you accepted me as your Savior and you sat in church. That's all you did with your Christian life? There's a punishment waiting for that servant because he knew better. But then this brings us to the last one in verse 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Our last servant, I'm going to say is an ignorant servant. Ignorant servant. This man, it says, he knew not. What did he not know? Well, according to verse 47, he didn't know the Lord's will. Right, did, was he completely ignorant of everything about the Lord or did he know just a little bit not I think it's safe to say he didn't know as much as the servant before him right I think that's fair to say but exactly how ignorant was he and why was he so ignorant did he have access to this knowledge and ignored it or did he not have any access the last part of the verse helps us understand this unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required you are going to be no please listen to this you're going to be judged 
based on what you had access to. Which is a terrifying thought. Here's how it works. It's what is committed to you. It's what's being given to you. Right? Here it is. You say, well, I, I never took it. I never opened it. I never read it. That's your fault. You're still going to be held accountable because you knew where to get it. And it was being given. And it gets given quite often around here. And the fact that you say, I wasn't there. I was busy. You shouldn't have been. You should have been here. So I didn't know any better. Fair enough. The guy who knows better and doesn't prepare himself gets many stripes. The guy who didn't know still gets stripes. Ignorance is no excuse. Okay, yes, to know it and not do it is worse. But living ignorantly when you don't have to is not a legitimate excuse and it doesn't get you off the hook. It's right there every week Throughout the week, if you want it, you can learn it. You say, I, I've never, you know, I keep hearing this thing about you must be born again. And I hear people say you need to be saved. And I don't understand it. We can change that. You say, I, I keep hearing people talk about walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and church and Bible and prayer. I, I hear that, but I just don't get it. I don't understand. We can change that. I'm tempted to say this. I believe this is true. I don't know of too many people in this church that are in verse 48. And, and I, I say that carefully. I might be wrong, but the reason I say that is because we try to give you what you need to know about the Lord's will. So I find it hard to believe on the day of judgment you're going to stand before the Lord and say, Well, I didn't know. <laughs> You say, well, then you must have fell asleep for like six years worth of church because it was there. God is going to judge you based on what was given, what was committed. Now it's your responsibility to do something with that. I'm going to ask you in closing, which one of these servants are you? Which servant do you want to be? Because the blessing that you have at this moment, the Lord hasn't come back yet. Which, strangely enough, is a blessing in some ways. We have an opportunity, we have time to change things so that we're ready when He appears. So whichever category you're in, be honest. But then take the steps to get to the category you need to be in. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And let's take just a moment. The pianist will come and play something softly. I know it's a bit warm. But let's, uh, let's put that to the side. Most of you will go home and bry anyway out in the hot sun. Hot fire. You can take a minute or two here in church. Ask yourself this question. Am I that servant? You know what? Let's, let's do one better here. Ask the Lord. Which servant am I? Let him tell you. You know what might be a good idea? Maybe you've been living too far away from the door. 
When Jesus comes knocking, you don't hear it because you're just tuning him out. The sounds of this world are just too much. Maybe, maybe there's some at the altar. Maybe you need to come down and say, Lord, I, I want to get closer to the door. Jesus, it hasn't even crossed my mind in a while that you're coming back. Lord, I, I'm not anxiously waiting by the gate to throw my arms around you, but I want to be. Maybe you need to come and say, Lord, I miss you. You've been gone a long time. I miss you, Lord. You can say, Lord, I, you don't need to tell me when you're coming. I just want you to know I can't wait for you to get here. If you are praying, I'll give you that opportunity. We'll give them a moment. But just before we close, let me ask you. Friend, if, if Jesus came back today, would you be cut asunder? Would, would He call you out for what you really are? Because it's one thing to fool me, but God knows your heart. And if you've never been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So before I pray, let me offer you this. Just after the service, if you'd like to chat about that, I won't embarrass you. I, I, I won't do that publicly. You come find me. We'll go over to my office. And we'll sit down and I'm happy to answer whatever questions you have. I want you to be sure that you're saved. Now for the majority of you, I know, I, I've known you long enough, I know you're saved. That's your testimony and I believe it. And you know the Lord's will. You're biblically educated. I just want to encourage you this week to do something with what you know. Purposely put into action what you know. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Father, thank You this morning for speaking to our hearts. Lord, all of us, all of us, we are in one of those categories. Father, help us. We want to get to that one extreme where we're faithful and wise and ready for You to come. Lord, help us to have that hungry and yearning heart to see your face. Perhaps, Lord, if somebody's here not saved, might you deal with their heart before they leave the building today. Father, bless uh, our, our trip back home and bring us back safely, safely tonight to learn more from you and your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.